0: Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome back to 15-Minute Film Fanatics, the podcast where two friends and lifelong film fans watch a movie separately and then talk about it for the first time on the podcast.
1: Dan, believe it or not, it is season three. I think, unless I'm miscounting, we've done 42 or 43 episodes in about yeah. the last nine months. It's been, a, it's been a wild ride. Thank you, everybody listening, subscribing, commenting, sending in pics for movies. We really appreciate it, and uh, we're having
0: a blast. Yeah, we are. This really took off. Mike and I just did this as a hobby, and then all of a sudden we actually said people are listening to this. So then we got a new microphone here. We have a a new studio space, and we're really, really excited about it. So this week, we're going to kick off season three with a Netflix original movie, the film The Devil All the Time. And first of all, spoiler alerts. If you have not seen the film, we're going to talk about everything that happens in it. So now's your chance. You can watch the movie, then come back to us. We always start in the first segment by our overall impressions of the movie, right? So Mike, why don't you start?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So structurally, um, you know, let's talk quickly about one other movie that we've, that we've covered, um, which was uh, the movie by uh, Scorsese, the first movie that we did. The Irishman. The Irishman, which was also a Netflix original. And I feel that there's, there's some kind of things going on with the overall structure of the movie between this and The Irishman, which is that um, some uh, sequences, temporal sequences Um, are done out of sequence. Mm -hmm. So we're jumping around in time. Uh, The movie feels a little bit long. Feels like, I I think it's two hours and 40 minutes. Is that what it is? Yep. No, Um, it's a little
0: less than that, but it does, it does feel long.
1: It's the the kind of release that that you'd expect. Um, However, I will say one thing, which is the performances in this movie really are what hold it together. For me, this movie, you know, in, in, in all of its jumps in, in everywhere that it goes, uh, it's really kind held together with with Scotch tape from like from Tom Holland and Robert Pattinson and people giving excellent performances um, that are totally unexpected to me. So I'm not necessarily sure how I feel about the film as a whole. I found it um, very deeply unsettling. Um, I've seen it, you know, a time and a half already. And I'm definitely after we record this, I'm going to sit down and watch it again um, all the way through, Uh, not not making notes, just trying to take it in. But I was really struck uh, by the performances, especially from Robert Pattinson, again, who's become kind of a weird darling of the show. I'm not sure how that happened.
0: Yeah, because of the lighthouse, right? Because of Monkey Pump. Well, that's funny, your first vibe, because, again, we have not, we attest, we have not talked about this yet. We just text each other the name of the movie, and then we record. So my take on it was this. Um, I sat through this movie as a sacrifice for this show, the way that Jack the dog is sacrificed to try to cure Arvid's mother of cancer. I mean, I wasn't a fan of Badlands when we did that. I think Badlands is like Citizen Kane compared to this. And I think that if, if, if Citizen Kane or Casablanca or Godfather 2 have everything that's great about movies in them, I think that this movie has everything that's terrible about movies in it. I can't remember a movie that I viscerally disliked and, 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 and painfully sat through as much as this. I think it has everything that's wrong with movies in it.
1: I turned it off. I don't know if you remember, and then I asked you what you wanted to do for our first episode, because I was thinking about not doing it, but you'd already seen it. So it's like- so I had already seen it and
0: I had my time served and I, and that, and I was gonna meet for that parole board, man. I was, <laughs> I, I was gonna make us have this conversation. So
1: let's so, talk really quickly. I'm sure you have a secret list somewhere, but let's talk about one item that has to be on your secret list, which is no. the thing that really did it for me was the narrator, was, uh, you know, as soon as the narration kicked in, mm-hmm. um, I, I understand why you think, if I wrote a film like that, that jumped around, and tried to like even nested flashbacks within other flashbacks. I would use a narrator too. Sure. Um, but the the strange voice of the narrator makes you feel like you're set up for a whole different movie that you can't possibly be set up for. You know, it's 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 like Happy Valley or something, but with a bunch of murder in it.
0: <laughs> well, the narrator is the author of the novel. That's who they got to do the narration for the film. I just happen to see that. But I think the na- I think the narration, the narrative, was the least of this movie's problems. Right. I mean, I thought. Uh, let me start. You. Let me jump in here. I thought one thing that was terrible about this movie, it's funny because I'm such an admirer of Flannery O'Connor and this movie, this will be what Flannery O'Connor made if she didn't believe in anything. I think first of all, the movie, it shows you everything you can imagine. Like like when Lenora vomits, like, by the way, movies love to show vomiting now, in a way. but like, as soon as I saw the crucified guy, the Marine, right, I'm like, well, do I need to see that guy on the cross? Okay, maybe I need to see that. Or the spiders on his head or, you know, Lee getting um, serviced in the car. At Animal House, it's funny, but you don't have to get through the whole scene. Um, or the soldier, you know, the guy um, all cut up and naked or Robert Pattinson when he's with the whore when you find out Tom Tom Holland's watching through the window. I mean, I thought that the movie was like this. If the theme of the movie is Arvin's father says, you know, there's lots of no good sons of bitches out there, right? And then Arvin says it later on. Then the movie could be about how somebody like Arvin, who seems to have a conscience like navigates through that world. But it's not. I think the movie is you see all the no good sons of bitches do no good sons of bitches things and then get killed
1: yeah so i have to, here are my two real if I had to narrow it down to two problems, these problems are tied for first for me okay the first thing is uh something that you alluded to, which is there's so many more ways to get away with scenes uh being ominous without seeing w- what they are correct but once you kn- once you know um that Lenora's mom disappears off into the woods, right. you actually don't have to see what happens right. if you if you right so if, if every single time somebody did something terrible, you had to show it, yeah, you'd end up with a two and a half hour movie. That's exactly opposed, what happened. 90 minutes as opposed to, okay, they disappear into the woods and then you jump cut to somebody in the, in the back of a car Correct. who's looking all nervous and has to like, yeah, they, they kill somebody and they disappeared, but I can do screwdriver to the neck much better than you can do screwdriver to the neck and <laughs> I'm doing it right here.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> um, so that, that's, that's first and that's how you end up with a, you know, a two and a half hour movie. And then my other problem is uh, the sh- when the smoke clears, like uh, characters clear out of this novel, you know, like a flower blowing away in the wind. And then it's you know, it's it's only Arvin left with the sheriff. There's no conflict there for me. There's you know, yeah.
0: I'm sorry. I thought of, I'm sure the director thought it was very cute that it was Spider-Man versus you know Bucky at the end of the movie. But I mean, uh, for uh, you know that that wore off very very quickly. Um, and you know, speaking of the sheriff, you know Sebastian Stan as him, you know, you know. he says at one point in the movie some people were born just so they could be buried that's what he tells arvin when some people were born just so they could be buried and i think that the movie takes that really seriously like like these characters are born so to speak just so we could watch them die you know it's like private Gary when when they, they pick up that that soldier and they end up like taking him out there and it goes on forever and forever right like the movie is like the photos that Roy and Sandy, the perverted couple take, they take those, that's what the movie's like. Like they do what the movie does. Like who like who cares about the waitress and the photographer pervert murder spree? Like there's no stake in it, there's no investment. Like you don't care about Sandy and her brother, right? And by the way, listeners, the, I am not a prude, <laughs> you know? Um, like I think Reservoir Dog is one of the great movies Certainly, certainly, of my lifetime, you know, The Exorcist is terrifying. We did Silence of the Lambs, unbelievably great movie. But I think that the more you show the screwdriver in the neck or the crucified guy, like it takes you out of the movie because you're so reminded of how over the top it is. But this, there's no, there's no, the violence doesn't mean anything. It's just for the sake of violence. It's like the photos, of the pervert thing.
1: Yeah, I, and again, there's no emotional weight um, on that couple whatsoever you know that the, the implication is supposed to be for you i think that the wife is trying to is trying to quit or yeah. you know she's been she's been somehow, trying to get out you know manipulated into it but she doesn't really she doesn't really try that hard no you know, she doesn't she, she, at, at the penultimate moment she aims her gun at his head and you know, press it and it goes click and not, yeah. then nothing, you know, right. and then she's, and she's dead. It's, it's easy to, to trash this movie, obviously, um, which is what we're just kind of dunking on this movie right now. But um, there were some interesting set pieces that I, that I thought were funny. So okay. um, the second section of our podcast, where we talk about key scenes or scenes that are indicative of the films as a whole. And uh, if we can't find any, let's just maybe talk about some great set pieces, because there are some great set pieces in this film.
0: Fair enough. I'll see you there. Always be closing, Mike. Always be closing.
1: So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.
0: So welcome back. This is segment two where we talk about a favorite line or a favorite moment that we think is indicative of the film as a whole. Mike, you mentioned in the first segment that you do have some, some set pieces you enjoyed. Go.
1: Yeah. I'm... I'm a big fan of Bill Skarsgård. Um, so I think, for example, when he, when he pulls up in the truck, you mm-hmm. know, with the kid in the car, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a deeply satisfying moment. You know, there's- that, You mean his Sonny Corleone moment? But yeah, there's so, many, there's so many things that are supposed to be uh, twisted in this movie, but the one thing that actually got me uh, more than anything else was the two guys in the woods um, talking about whether or not they should, they should go back the other right. way, um, right. you know, towards, towards his house. You know that that's a very unsettling moment now you know something terrible is going to happen to that lady um you know from the moment she's from the moment she sets on screen you know sure. you're almost glad it was cancer you know what i mean given the given the options <laughs> that this movie makes available um but i also thought the preacher played by let me see.
0: yeah that's dudley from the from the harry potter movies harry Mel. is it really correct oh, yes.
1: um okay that was one moment that i thought was actually done was was fairly arresting, um and and yeah. even though it was over the top, I found I found it amusing in the middle. It was
0: arresting because it was a bad imitation of Paul Dana when there will be blood. you know what it was
1: a bad imitation of, but um, but that that was a great scene, and I thought Robert Pattinson's uh, southern accent was charming. Okay, yeah. F- fair enough. Fair now enough. I, now now look, you you can only deliver the lines that you're given. You know what I mean? So absolutely. You know, absolutely. I thought I thought that he did really really good work with the lines that he was given and Netflix pays a ton. So I don't blame them. Yeah. You know the, I don't blame you, them. They, they, all did, they all did fine no.
0: work on what they were given, but what they were given was 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 Trash. nothing. Yeah. You know, well if I could do my moment here. Easy. I have what it, I have our our listeners now I like to make secret lists and spring them on mic. So here's my secret list. When I was thinking about my moment, I thought that this whole movie isn't, and this is why I think it's interesting to talk about. I, and I know people might think I'm a jerk for trashing this movie. and that's usually not what our shows are like if this is your first one. But I think the movie's interesting because it's an exercise in what, what movies love to do. And it was this, it's an, the whole movie is a perfect example of awarding the viewer for feeling superior to the characters. And I think it does that very transparently. It spoon feeds you every emotion, every possible outcome, right? I mean, it assumes this audience is as stupid as the characters, right? You don't need a spoiler alert in this movie because everything goes A to B to C, right? Like you said before, when Roy kills Helen with a screwdriver to the neck, so of course we have to see her bleed out, right? And then we don't know why he did it yet. We just assume he's crazy, but then he does it to, um, you know, we're like, see what, you know, idiots these hicks are. But then when he tries to resurrect her, right? That would be a plot twist if she got up, by the way. That would be a hell of a plot twist if she stood up, right? But... We know that could happen because we're like, oh, of course, they're south of the Mason-Dixon land. They all must be idiots, right? Um, they believe in things. They're morons, right? And I think the whole movie works that way. Like, we're always spoon-fed what to think. Like, you mentioned before the scene with the truck, the Sonny Corleone moment, which I think is even lame in The Irishman when De Niro does it to the, the baker that gives his daughter a hard time. Like, we know that Willard's going to beat the crap out of those two guys that come upon him and his son in the woods. And then what do we do? We wait, beat, beat, and seeing the crap. He beats the crap out of him, right? I have a list of moments like this in the movie. Ready? The old lady's worried she can't afford real meat for the preacher, so she buys the chicken livers. Arvin says, don't worry, it's okay. Beat, beat. Now she's humiliated, just like she feared. Like Robert Pattinson shouldn't have humiliated her if he was truly evil, right? Um, Then we watch Tom Holland beat the crap out of the guys who make fun of his sisters. We get, you know, the Sonny Corleone scene again. And then we're like, as if you didn't understand, it's a flashback to the way his father was. We actually get a flashback to the way his father was, right? And, and, and then they play Young Love while he beats the guys up in the garage. We could have another episode, by the way, about the tired cliche of playing upbeat, happy music when violence is happening on a screen. Like, can we just, can we just call a national moratorium on that? Um, they get Gary the serviceman to go out there in the woods. We know that they're going to kill him and take pictures of him, but it goes on and on and on. And then you see him naked, covered in blood, right? We get Robert Pattison in the car. We know he's a creep. He's going to seduce his sister. And then boom, boom, boom. And of course she's, she's stupid and falls for it because of her zip code, right? Um, as soon as she pukes, you know that Tom Holland's gonna kill Robert Pattison. As soon as Robert Pattison hears about it, he starts preaching about the, like every single thing, right? Um, you're supposed to enjoy that, that um, Tom Holland is superior to him when he does the mock confession because you know, it's supposed to be like Robert Pattinson's getting all excited hearing about it, and he tells about the panning sniffing, and then as soon as he shoots him, like there's nobody left, he's going to get picked up by the perverts, and then at the very end, he gets picked up by Charles Manson, I assume, I assume it's supposed to be Charles Manson, so I just think that like, it's a constant, um, the, the leader is, is, is led by the nose, as asses are, like Iago says about people, and told exactly what to feel about these people, there's not one surprise in it, and uh, as a result of that, that's why I think the movie feels so long.
1: Yeah, it it definitely felt longer than the two and a half hours that it was. But um, yeah, I, I think some of it is uh, a lack of work on the part of the viewer. There's not as you yeah, said, there's, there's clearly nothing for you to do.
0: And if you think of our past whatever forty something shows, right, the movie that makes you probably do the most work we've talked about is not necessarily my favorite movie we've done, but it's it's probably The Lighthouse. Probably right? The Lighthouse, and you enjoy doing all that work for the Lighthouse. It pulls you back to watching the movie again. It makes you say, I don't know if I could see that again. And then you watch, the, and then you turn it on and you watch the whole thing again. Or like when you did Cold War, right? I mean, it, like Absolutely. those movies make you work in a way that this, this doesn't, and you're supposed to feel superior to these, to these hillbillies, like you're watching Deliverance again.
1: Okay, welcome back. So like I just said, in, our, in the third part of our podcast, we like to talk about our, our overall feelings or takeaways. Um, sometimes we talk about the title. I don't think there's much to say about the title here. Dan, do you have anything, you know, your, your overall takeaways? I think we pretty much get how you feel about it. And I, and I agree. Um, but anything that you, that you didn't mention?
0: No, I mean, I, I, I don't want to sound like too much of a crank. But I mean, I, I have more respect for, for um, you know, A Nightmare on Elm Street and a host of other movies that, that, I, that I do for this. Because I think this is, this is, this is second-rate art masquerading as first-rate art, and it's, and it's not. And I would rather, I would rather watch um, Tom Cruise climb up the side of a wall or Bruce Willis fight bad guys or something. Yeah,
1: but there's, so there's one thing that we gotta talk about real, real quick, because you know, we, we chose it because Netflix made it look really good. Correct. And, and I trust two people in it, which is I trust Bill Skarsgård because he's terrifying, and um, I trust uh, Robert Pattinson. And, and I trusted so I, Sebastian you know, Stan
0: too, who I think is great. Yeah, so
1: exactly. So there's there's got to be something going on. I if it, it feels like Netflix bought my trust a little bit, you know, <sighs> so they, they said, okay, here's a movie with Tom Holland and Robert Patton sure. like I'm in, which is which is how it ended up getting suggested. So it's 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 tough, you know, um, to think about kind of the film industry and the way that things are being released right now, to think of a better way that it that it could have been done. In other words, I, I I'm with you on it, that it's second rate but part of its masquerading on, and first-rate art has to, a lot to do with the advertising or yeah, how absolutely. they get people to, to be in these movies.
0: Absolutely, and maybe, maybe it should have been like a, a, a three-part miniseries or a four-part miniseries or something like that. Like it could have been like, like, a, like a darker, if possible, version of Twin Peaks or something. But I think it was just, it was, it was served on a platter and I think that you can't, you you can't make a film where you feel, I mean, the only character you're not meant to feel superior to is Tom Holland, but only because he's like, you're on, he's supposed to be on his side. And he's gonna try to break away from the past. And The devil's out there all the time. The devil's after him all the time. So, okay, you understand that. But I mean, um, you know, there, there was very, very little to it. Well, two
1: things and then we'll go. One is, um, do bones really get that clean in, in 10 years? <laughs> yeah, like, I guess so, yeah, can yeah. Go back <laughs> into The perfectly bleached bones that he just, right. <laughs> And uh, you know who's scarier than Bill Skarsgård? Who? Kyle McLaughlin, speaking of which.
0: Right, okay, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough, okay.
1: Well, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we, we've had a great time being back and we'll, we'll try to make some better choices.
0: If we haven't scared you away from the podcast, please subscribe on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review um, and, and you could also let us know through the reviews what movies you'd like us to do in the future. We got a lot of suggestions for season three and, and uh, we promise we're really lovable people, not these cranks we seem.
1: All right. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening. Thanks.